Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Well, here's what I want to do. If you would, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, uh, starting out in Luke. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 4 to start out. And with this, I'm going to be a little cautious with this marker board because I happened to catch JT messing with it earlier. (laughs) And I called him out on it, and he asked him how far he got. He said he only had one letter left, but I think he ripped it up and threw it out. We'll see. We'll see what happens as it, as it goes through. But in Luke chapter 4, uh, we're going to start our study today because I want to look at from a disciple lean standpoint, when it comes to prayer, did Jesus pray for the people in the four different areas of the chairs that we're talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about with the chairs, we've been using uh, that as a metaphor to understand the different stages of discipleship uh, that we are supposed to be growing through. For instance, first, the first chair is come and see, which is someone who's seeking. Maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus as leader and forgiver in their life yet. They might know a lot about him, but have never had that personal relationship. Um, then when we grow by accepting Jesus as leader and forgiver in our lives, by acknowledging with our mouths he's the son of God, believing in our hearts he died and rose again, and we become a Christian, we start following him. That's the second chair is follow me. Then we're a baby Christian. We start moving in our growth to be more like Jesus over time. Unfortunately, one of the things we talked about is too often people stay on that chair, and that's not what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be spiritually mature our entire life. Um, so there is a third chair, which is taking and being fishers of men or fishers of women. Uh, you're partnering with God on the work that you're created to do. We see a little bit more of an evangelism uh, focus, even though we can evangelize at any of the stages, two and up. But more of evangelizing, leading people to the Lord. And then the fourth chair is go and build fruit, which we are now discipling the people that we have led to the Lord. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're called to do. So the question is, if we're using Jesus as a model, did he pray for people on chair one? Did he pray for chair two? Did he pray for chair three, chair four? How does that come into play? And the reason I want to start with Luke 4 is because you guys actually looked at Luke 4 this week within your readings. If you remember, it was when, uh, <laughs> if you're only two days behind, you're there. You had it. Oh, okay. For the love of goodness. Pay no attention to the people on the left. (laughs) And front row, very far left, front row. Okay. But uh, within this particular study, we have Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, right? He has been baptized. He has had the voice of God speak out of heaven. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Quite possibly the first time Jesus has heard his father's voice since he come here in uh, human form. And people are marveled and everybody's amazed. And you think that'd be the start of his public ministry, but instead God has different plans than how we do things. And he leads him out into the wilderness. And so he spends 40 days and 40 nights out there. And this is, this is what it says, just one through, uh, well, we'll just do one and two. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. Now, we have covered this before in the life of Jesus. We've covered this when we're talking about fasting and prayer, that this is a time where Satan is coming after Jesus because he thinks he's as weakest. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat, not eat and drink for 40 days, but physically you'd be dead. This is a supernatural 
fast that Jesus has done. And so during that time, as we ha- talk about fasting, you take something that creates a need, and that need becomes your catalyst to lean into the Lord more by being in the Word and being in prayer. So the easy assumption within this is this is a time of great leaning into the Lord. So when he goes up against Satan on the three big temptations, he's actually stronger than he's ever been before. Just physically, he's very weak. And so within your studies, it asks you to use that educated biblical imagination that we talked about and say, what was Jesus praying about? What do you think Jesus was praying about during that 40 days? So the question is, what did you guys come up with? Uh, And also, let me just say this while you're thinking, because that is not a rhetorical question. Uh, First off, we all know I'm a lousy speller, so I'm not too worried about covering that. I'm going to tell you a secret, and I'm calling you out because you said it was still too small on, uh, on Facebook. I don't write this so that you guys can read it. I don't. We, we capture it. We say them all out loud. You can write it down from what we say. It, it's, it, a lot of times it's just to show you how much answers there can be and how vast God is. So I, I have no, I have lots of reasoning for things I do, and none of them make sense to you. That's okay. That makes sense. So, what was Jesus praying about? What do you What do you think? I think it was his ministry, upcoming ministry. Upcoming ministry. Okay. What else? It was forty days. They had plenty of time to pick some topics. Kathy, what are you saying? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. His people. Okay. Disciples? Mm-hmm. Their relationships, okay. Uh, Where are you going, Tree? <laughs> Somebody raise their hand, was Mr. Gast? Uh, strength. Strength? Absolutely. Wisdom? Wisdom? Protection? That he doesn't fail? Knowing that, that, that this time of temptation? His path? Here's the thing that's interesting. I'm glad you guys got, got something. I don't know if you ever thought about it before, the workbook, uh, what he was playing here, but you've you got some really good ones. Now, some things to kind of sharpen a little bit because it's true when it comes to his people when it comes to his disciples when it comes to the relationships amongst them um, those haven't happened yet he doesn't have any disciples yet he hasn't started his public ministry yet they don't have relationships amongst them but I think you're 100% right that that's who he's praying for that's who he's praying for a lot of times if you want to take and use that 
thought process in your own studies, you come across Jesus goes and prays, which happens a lot, right? Jesus goes and prays, and you're wondering, what was Jesus praying about? One of the easiest ways to figure out what he's praying about is look what happens next. Is that when God listens to our prayers and moves, what, what was the catalyst? What moved within this? And the next chapter that you dig into is going to be all about Jesus' solo ministry. He's going to the synagogues. He's taking and going around in public, but he has absolutely no disciples at that, fo- at that point. It's not until chapter 5 that his first disciples start coming into the mix, and he starts calling them to come and follow me, come and see, come be part of this. So I think it's very, very real that while he's getting prepared for the temptations, he is praying about his ministry. What is this going to look like? Let me find that discernment, that wisdom that I need, and then show me who my disciples are. Because when we go to John 17, we'll put this up for you, Chris, if you would. Uh, Again, the the different statements that we see in his prayer in the garden are the things that he said he did to disciple others. He prayed for them. Now, I don't want the last part of the voice to confuse it, where he says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours. It's not like Jesus didn't pray for the world. He's just not in that moment. He goes, I pray for them. I'm praying for them, and I've been praying for them since the beginning. Since the beginning, Father, when you cast out this net with the solo ministry, guide me. And then show me who are those people within that wide net that are going to be part of this mission. Who are you going to be giving to me as he prayed in in John 17? And so from the very beginning, he is praying before a face has even been seen. Does that make sense? So we definitely see him praying for first-year people. We see that he is prepared so that when John and Andrew come up and say, Who are you? What are you doing? He goes, ah, there's an answer to my prayer. It's not a coincidence. I've been praying for you. I see you. Come see. Now, the question then becomes, does he pray for those in, uh, within the second chair as well? This one I will make you turn to because we cover this scripture a lot. And we even just covered it just a couple of weeks ago a little bit from a different spectrum or a different uh, scope of looking at things. But Mark chapter 1 uh, is the one that I go to a lot when we're talking about how to know what God's will is in your life. I love that scripture. Uh, we looked at not too long ago about some of the things that Jesus did. But I will do a recap in case you weren't here. Um, when we're in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus in the synagogue. You guys remember this? And he's teaching. And everybody's amazed at his teaching. And then a man with an unclean spirit or a demon inside of him cries out. And Jesus kicks him out of the house. And everybody's amazed at his teaching. That he has authority over demons. And immediately he leaves. I love the word immediately. It comes up a lot in this particular chapter. He leaves and goes to Peter's house, right? And he finds who? Uh, it's a test. Nobody's. His mother in law. Thank you, Kathy. See, you can talk loud and proud. You don't have to whisper to Cindy the whole time. <laughs> you have good answers. You got good answers, girl. His mother in law, she's sick. He heals her in a very magnificent change of freedom within the house. And the next thing you know, the entire town is at Peter's front door. Uh, again, as we talked about, Jesus builds the largest church in the shortest amount of time of all time. And as um, the people are there, it says they're amazed that he can cast out demons and heal people. But they're no longer amazed at his teaching. Okay, that's the summary of it. Next day, the few disciples he has at this point, he has four or five. Uh, they're pumped. They've signed on with the right guy. Everything's huge. Blowing up the whole town. They're ready for day two. They can't find Jesus anyplace. Because they find that Jesus has carved out a period of time where he woke up before everybody else and he went out and he did what? Prayed. And when he came back, he said the unimaginable of 
we shouldn't stay here anymore. We've got to go someplace else because I'm here to teach. I'm here to teach, and I can't do that here anymore. We've got to go to these other villages. And he walked away from what would be considered massive church growth success to be able to do what his father called him to do. What is he praying? What did he pray that morning? Wisdom, discernment, strength. Don't let me blow this. Is this what you want me to do, Father? What would this look like if I stayed here in three years? It would be great for this city, but the message would not go out. How am I supposed to act in this for my disciples, Father? Is this the best thing for them? I know it's close to home. I know it's better than what they had. How do I go to them and tell them that you're telling me for us to walk away from it? Then when he does do what his father calls him to do, what do they learn when it comes to observational learning, which we talked about a few weeks ago? That success to Jesus is very different compared to the world. That he would have us walk away from a great many things that the world would say, man, that's incredible. That church is on fire. Look at all the healings. Look at the demons being cast out. Well, I'm, all, I'm here to teach. 100% love, 100% truth. And I'm telling you, the disciples had to make those decisions after Jesus was gone. When they had successes in their own life. Do you define success the same way as the world? Or, wait a minute, Jesus always carved out some time to pray. To get centered, to get focused. To be able to follow his father. So we see he's not just praying for those that are lost, but he's praying for those who are newly on board, that they are, one, learning through him, but also seeing God work through him in very specific ways. you still with me? I'm just putting all four on the table, and then we'll talk about them. Let's go uh, to, to another one, Luke 9. You'll just go back a couple pages. Luke 9. You go over verse 18. And this would be answer the question if he prayed for fishers, if he prayed for people that are more mature in their faith, they're doing the work, they're partnering with him. And we come across a, a very particular time with Jesus and the disciples, especially Peter, but with all of them. And verse 18 tells us, now it happened that he, while he was praying, that he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So make sure you catch that. He's not off in the wilderness by himself. He's sitting there with the guys, but he's praying by himself. What is he praying about? What happens next? He asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. What is he praying? How do I talk to them about this? How do I draw them out on this? Reveal yourself to them, Father. How do you want me to approach this? This approach that Jesus uses is a, uh, if you like to facilitate, if you ever want to facilitate or whatnot, this, this is a pretty common uh, facilitating tool, uh, especially, uh, I think the easiest example to use would be youth group, like my years of, of doing youth group. It, it gets very intimidating to teenagers if you say, what do you struggle with at school? And they're like, I don't want to talk about what I struggle with at school. So what do you ask? What type of things do people struggle with at school? Oh, now we can talk about everything, everything under the sun. And then after you get several answers out, it's a little easier to say, do you struggle with any of those? What about you? Well, people talk about peer pressure, and to be honest, it 
kind of comes off lame, but I do struggle with how people think about me. It's a building tool that he uses. How does he have that discernment? Because he's praying to his father about it. Who do people say that I am? And then the very important one, who do you say I am? Father, I know Peter's a goofball. I know he messes up a lot. But I see the leader that's in him. I see the cornerstone that you're talking about. Reveal it to him. Give him the courage to say it out loud. Let him be the first one. He is constantly praying for those areas to move into. Right after this, he talks about his death. Father, prepare their hearts for what's to come. Help me to talk to them about this very tough topic, about what's going to be happening next. After that, he talks to them about picking up their, their cross daily. They will live lives of picking up their cross daily, just like you and I are called to do. Praying for them, preparing for them, making sure that they are in the shape and the place where God wants them to be. Um, it's interesting, just a couple of chapters after this, in Luke 11 is where we find them asking Jesus, and I know Mike loves the Lord's Prayer, um, how, uh, they, they ask him, um, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. If you had never really wondered about that, did you, it's interesting to me because they never said, Lord, teach us to do miracles. They gave him the authority to do miracles, but they never had like this something within the group that they wanted to learn about. Oh, teach us how to teach. Show us how to teach like you do. The one example that we have in two different Gospels and the harmony of the Gospels is teach us how to pray. We just want to pray like you. They're now starting to get this rotation of the prayer life and the difference that it makes in the way that he moves. Um, I shared the story before, but it's been a long time, so I'll share it again. Uh, when I was going through my pastoral studies in my prayer class, um, there was about 15, 20 of us in the, in the class, and um, the guy that was the teacher on prayer, uh, to be honest, was, was kind of kind of goofy. He was kind of like, it just, I, I, it's not somebody I would hang out with all the time, whatnot. There was, he just kind of struck me uh, a little bit as a goof. And um, boy, about three quarters of the way through the, the, the year, and um, I never talked to him. He doesn't know anything about my personal life. And he's closing up a prayer like he usually does. And um, all of a sudden, in the middle of the prayer, he starts praying about me. Not me by name, but about my circumstances and what I'm going through. I was a associate pastor at a church over the youth ministry, uh, having a lot of struggles with the senior pastor. Um, was thinking about quitting and just giving up and being out of there. Um, and he starts praying about all these circumstances, very detailed circumstances. And when he gets done with it, he looks at me and goes, I'm praying about you, aren't I? And at that point, I don't think I was a lot of Holy Spirit to serve me because I had tears coming down my eyes. It was like I'm the only person and everybody else staring at me or whatever. Um, but everything else was discernment-wise. And I said, yes, you are. And he said, look, I don't know anything more than outside of what I prayed, but the Spirit's telling me you need to go home and really study David and Saul and what it looks like to, not, to be in a place with an anointing, but it's not your time yet, and how to deal with the king who's been called by God, who's not following God, and learn how to honor him, look how to communicate within that, learn how to be able to have that kind of perseverance and that kind of understanding. And it brought me another two years at the church. Um, and I'll tell you, no matter what I thought of him or whatever he taught up here or whatever the book that he made us read, all of that was academic, it was good, whatever, got a point here, got a point here. But when you experience something like that, I want to pray like that. I want to pray like that. 
and that became part of my heart as I sought to understand prayer better with the Holy Spirit. And um, I think that's what the apostles are finding here. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to dig in. Uh, let's go to Matthew 14. Making it jump around a little bit, but at least I'm keeping you in the Gospels for now. Matthew 14 will bring us up to chair four for those who are mentors, those who are disciples. And in your books this week, uh, but Melissa won't be at this one because it's the last one of the week, there is a mention of Eremos. Eremos? E-R-E-M-O-S. And it's a Greek word that means uh, loneliness. It means wilderness. And it's used um, by Jesus um, in his, his ministry. I'll show you. Uh, Chris, let's go to that picture of that. There you go. I'll show you this particular scene. Uh, this scene is from, uh, I think it's, I don't remember exactly what they call it. It's not a woman's cave. It's a woman's uh, gato, something like that nature. But it is traditionally believed. It's not biblically believed. It's not 100% proven. But it does, the first mentions of it don't go back to the first century. That this was one of Jesus' main uh, praying places. That this was the, that's why they call it the woman's prayer. So when he, uh, we'll go to the next slide, we'll have a scripture there. But he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. This is one of those places that he's thinking about. When we're called to get away from everything else, to get away from the focus, and be able to, to pray. Thank you, Chris. And then we'll just leave that picture up for a while. Um, and if you look at it, it might be fun, fun for you to Google later. It's, it's up in a mountain. You can see it. It's probably big enough that maybe 40 guys could hide in there. Uh, together. It's not very deep. It's rather shallow, but it's just a beautiful place, I mean, place for him, him to be praying at um, that he invites us to as well. Now, the reason I'm showing it to you this week is because this scripture that we're reading, it is believed this is where he was praying. And I want you to have this visual for a second. So pray, uh, take and, and read with me uh, in verse 22. This is in the context of a very crazy time in Jesus's life. Uh, he has sent the people out by two by two. And they come back with great joy. They're reporting everything that happened. Uh, in the middle of these reports of this great joy, they come up and say, by the way, John the Baptist is dead. He's been beheaded. And so there's great grief. All of a sudden, it's a very whiplash-type uh, situation. Jesus decides that it's time for them to take a break. He is overwhelmed. And so they go, and they land, and they find 5,000 people, at least 5,000 people waiting for him. And in the midst of his grief and just completely being wiped out, he still ministers to them because he takes uh, and fills for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, which is pretty much what the world is. And so he still ministers to them and feeds the 5,000, great miracle. And then that's where we come across this particular point that after this is done, verse 22, we get the word immediately. In other words, he's very purposeful about this. Now that that part is done, he makes the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So he's still working while he gets the, them out of there. They need a break. They, they need to be able to have this time. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And this is where we get this picture behind us. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. What was he praying? That's the question we come, come back to. What's he praying in a moment like that? Father, renew my strength. Father, renew my anointing. Father, renew my focus. I am beat. 
Father Minister, my heart, my cousin has been martyred for my name, for your name. Restore me, be with his family, be with his, uh, with his parents. They may be there because they were older. Maybe they passed away, but what about the family? Jesus' family. Be with our family, be with our disciples. They're, some of them followed John for a long period of time. They're devastated, Lord. There's all kinds of things that he could be praying about. But the one that makes me kind of shudder in amazement is he's praying, we believe, in this cave. And if you look at this, as he's praying, looking out, and it, it would have been about 3 a.m. when he walked out to them. That's what happens after this, as he walks out to them on the waves. And they have been rowing for a while, and the moon's out. Can Jesus see them? From his place of prayer and his time of trying to refocus, can he see that the people that he loves and that he's drawn to them are st striking against the waves? Oh, Father, let them hold on to faith instead of the circumstances around them. Oh, Father, give them the endurance to continue to keep going. Oh, Father, you just saw you feed 5,000 plus people with just a limited amount of food. Let them hold on to that instead of some waves that are coming up over the boat. He gets up and he walks out to them. Why? He can. Hmm? Because he can. He can, but he can also wave his hand from up here and the waves be still. And he says, well, I still want to have more time with my father. He could. Father, what do you want me to do in this moment? How do I act? What would they learn from? What will encourage them the most? My <laughs> son, I want you to walk out there. Okay. Show them that you're the master over the circumstances around them. Okay. Father, protect my heart because I'm going to grieve that they're already in fear over some waves after everything that they've just seen. Help me to minister to them. Every stage of the discipleship process, we see him praying for them and then teaching us by the way that we watch him move and what he shares. He's praying for those that are the seekers, the new believers, the workers, the mentors, and for us. And that right there should make us just bow on our faces and worship. They praise for us no matter what circumstances we're going through, trying to teach us through a lot of circumstances, and that he's praying for us and interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us as well. But it should also make us get a little bit more serious about asking ourselves, what am I praying for? Because there's a real good shot. Most of us are praying for, God, get me my butt out of this trouble, or God, get me this thing that I want and very little prayer towards, Father, help me to lead the people who are lost to you. Help me to take and encourage my brothers and sisters and my local body church and the church with the big capital C, how to be able to follow you and to be able to grow to be like you. Father, help me to act in certain ways that when they observe me following you, that they are encouraged to do the same. That's what it's called to do. I lied. I'm not going to just keep in the gospel. Let's go to First Chronicles. Let's get some Old Testament in here. It's page 619 in my Bible. That never helps anybody, does it? Nobody. First Chronicles. When you look at chapter 4, unless if you're a big geek about Ancestry.com, you're going to get bored very, very quickly. It's pretty much in, uh, um, ancestry stuff. It's so-and-so had these sons, and so-and-so had these kids, and, and it's just kind of a list. 
and it's been going on for a little while. It's the descendants of David, and then we move into the descendants of uh, Judah. But verse 9 to 10 got very, 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 very popular about two decades ago. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Us old folks? Okay. The Prayer of Jabez. Um, when we opened our Christian bookstore, actually I bought some from Barb when she was a town crier um, before we opened our bookstore. But the uh, very, very popular book, it was The Purpose Driven Life Before Purpose Driven Life is what a thing. And um, it focused on these little voices. Now I'm going to say up front, there's things I agree with in the book and things I'm not so nuts about within the book. So I'm not necessarily overly promoting uh, every word within it, but I am promoting the scripture. And I like why he got this is because in the middle of all this, the sons of this and the sons of that and the sons of this, all of a sudden you get this little testimony, verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Thanks, Mom. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from home, so that it might not bring me pain, and God granted what he asked. There was no particular reason for that testimony when it comes to this ancestry thing. It's just, you got to know this about Jabez. You just got to know this about Jabez. We know nothing else about Jabez. We just have these few sentences about Jabez. And then, like I said, the book went on, on wildfire. But anyways, here's, here's what I took from that back, back in the day and continue to hold on to. Um, one of the, I guess one of the challenges that it has, a lot of people took it to prosperity gospel. If I just pray this little prayer, then all of a sudden I have money and I have things and I have this and that. I don't think that's what this is about at all. Uh, in that day, your name meant something. And so for mom to name you, I bore you in pain, that's speaking a prophecy over your kid. It's not a very nice move in any way, shape, or form. She gets no flowers today. I mean, that's a, it, this, is, this is what she spoke over him. And Jesus and Jabez take and pray to God, if you would just bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you might keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain, so that you would enlarge this border that my, my mom put around me, and just let me not be in pain or cause other people pain. It's not let there be harm in my life. I trust in you, God, not what someone spoke over me. And some of us need to do that. Some of us hold on to what people have spoken over us instead of what God says about you. And God says, you know what? I want to bless you that way. And he enlarged his territory. It doesn't say anything about money. It really doesn't. And I remember praying that prayer, and I continue to pray that prayer at different times in my life today, because it's an honorable prayer. And somewhere within that, and I really don't know if it's in the book or if it's something that the Holy Spirit put on my heart or something somebody else said to me. It's been two decades now, and I'm luck lucky to remember last week. But uh, he, I added into there something about, Father, help me keep my appointments. If you believe that God created you for a purpose, a lot of us say that, but if you believe that God created you for a purpose, then he's got a plan. He's got a schedule. He's got things for you. And so for me to pray, God, help me keep my appointments, it's not help me be able to keep up with my crazy schedule that I overschedule myself with and that everybody else has all these demands for and my calendar sometimes I forget to put things on there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things that God has appointments for you to do every single day that you have no idea Unless if you are prayed up, saying, Holy Spirit, show me the appointment and help me to lean into that appointment, no matter what else is going on around me. 
when, when uh, you have somebody who's a non-believer take and say uh, a statement about going through struggle? Help me keep that appointment. Let me recognize it. Let me speak into it, the truth of Jesus Christ. When I see a brother or sister struggling in the ministry or struggling with the faith, help me to, to see that moment, step in with your promises and say, you remember his promises have never failed you, have they? No, they're not going to fail you this time. Help me to become so strong in my prayer life that I'm praying like Jesus, not just for myself and my family, but for those that I'm discipling. Does that make sense? Help me keep my appointments. Help me keep my appointments. Adam, I'm going to bring you... If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.